You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. There's a lot there. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. It's a, it's a very warm, delightful summer day. I hope you have plans to come and join us and play in the water a little bit and stay cool and maybe just not move a whole lot um, this afternoon. Enjoy some food. Uh, yesterday, we were invited by some family to go uh, enjoy, the, enjoy the pool, and it was a lovely time. And there was a Opportunity at the end, a question was asked of me, and it really tied into what we're talking about today. And the question was, what does it, what does it really mean to be saved? And it's actually a really, really important question, uh, particularly for someone in this world. They're concerned about what's to come. They look around, they see the, the difficulties, the struggles, the love of many growing cold. They see good being called evil and evil be calling, being called good. They see this in their life and they look around, they see riots, they see earthquakes, they see terrible things happen in the world, they see wars, and they're concerned, and rightly so. And so there's a drawing of, there's a worry. What's gonna happen? What does it actually mean to be saved? What does it mean for now? What does it mean to the future? It means in eternity. And so we talked about this, and uh, it was just a wonderful opportunity to share what God is doing, and that we, we don't have enough time in this world. There's only so much that you are given in this life. There are no, absolutely no guarantees. And we can prepare the best we can for what's to come, but today could be the last day. It could be the day the Lord comes, or it could simply be your last day or my last day. There are no guarantees. So we have to be living for right now. We have to be looking at right now. We have to make sure our kids are taken care of now. We have to make sure we address our family now. We have to make sure we are looking at now. There was a whole introduction I had for this message about people struggling with the way God does things. And as I pondered it over the week, he took me away from that and he brought me actually to um, a very specific song that kind of illustrates what I want to talk about today. And it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a worship song. It's just a song I heard growing up. Um, many of you may have heard it. It's called Cats in the Cradle. The beginning of the song is Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue and the Man in the Moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know, son. But we'll have a time then. We'll have a real good time then. As the song progresses, his son grows up, and he gets to the point where he finally thinks that he has time. Son, I'd like to spend some time with you. When you coming home, son? I don't know, Dad, but we'll have a time then. We'll have a real good time then. If you're living for then, then's going to come in a moment. I've been told that my entire adult life as we've had kids and moved along and everyone's saying, value the moment. They're going to grow up before you know it. Blink and they're going to be graduating high school. Blink again and they're having their own kids. Blink again, suddenly you're old. (laughs) 
And if enough people have told us that, it must be true. If you're living for then, what is the opportunity presented for you now is going to be gone. You cannot recover that. There's nothing you can do about yesterday. Nothing you can change about it. Nothing you can make. You cannot make up the time. The time is gone. There are different stages of our life, and each one is a blessed opportunity from the Lord. But that stage will eventually end. The kids, when they grow up, you will not be able to do all the things with them as kids again, because they're adults now. Many are blessed with the opportunity to try again with grandkids. And God says, don't miss this time. Don't let life pass you by because you were too busy being busy. Everything eventually comes to an end. It's not necessarily the end of your life you're talking to. You can look at it in that big sweeping gap, but every stage of your life will have an ending point. You only have influence for a short period of time. We're going to be looking at the ending of No, it's not. It's forefathers, but that's not the right word. Patriarchs, patriarchs thank you, Mr. Frost. <laughs> we are looking at the ending of the patriarchs today. We're looking at as their time of influence is drawing to a close. They're not going to have the ability to influence the world around them that they once did. It's going to be left to their sons. And at that point in time, when that stage of your life ends, what will remain? What will you have passed on to them? So I want this time today to be defined by this passage out of Ecclesiastes. It's a call for us to remember who we are and return to what the Lord has for us. Out of Ecclesiastes 12, it says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They're afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity we can get so caught up in being busy that we forget to live the life God's given us. But it's not too late.
it is never too late. You cannot recover what was, but you can live fully in what is now. I want everyone to own the first thing that is in this passage that God's going to say to Jacob, it is for you if you're feeling convicted in this moment. God said to Jacob, arise, go. Let's get up and move. We do not have to live in a settling life any longer. We can get up and we can go. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Let's go. Let's not settle anymore. Let's not be in this place of mediocrity. Let's move to what God has called us to. Let's remember what it was. Let's go there. Let's be there. Let's dwell there where God is ever present in our lives. Let's remember what he has called us to. Day by day, let us arise and go. It's not too late. No matter which stage you're at, it's not too late. You have something from God to do right now. It is not too late to get up and go to what God is calling you to. And we need to, in this, put away the things that are getting in the way. All the things that are getting between you and God, we call these idols. It's when we look at Deuteronomy 5, we're looking at the Ten Commandments, we're looking at the things that God is calling us to and that He is saying are so very important. And among the first things, He says, let there be nothing between you and me. Put aside those distractions. Anything that's drawing you away, anything that you're putting your hope and faith in, put that aside and return to me. Remember who I am, the creator of all things. Come back to me. Remember who you are, my child, my witness, the one I have called and I have saved. Purify yourselves. Get yourself in a right place to be before God. He's talking to all of the people that were with him. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Make yourselves clean. We're going to go before the Lord. And this time, there's a whole ritual associated with this. It's a whole process. It's the entirety of Numbers 19. I encourage you to look at it on your own. We're not going to read the whole thing. But it's this whole idea of this process of preparing yourself to go before God, to deal with the issues in your life and be made clean that you may stand blameless once again before Him. This is the process that was. The process that is now is different. There is one way to become clean before the Lord, and it is through the saving grace of Jesus Christ who died for your sins, whose blood was shed that you might be clean that you might be pure before God and blameless, that you can stand face to face with Him and know Him as He has always desired of His people. It's a call to return, and He is ever-present and available to us and has always been the case. As Jacob says here, the God who has always been with me, who has answered me in my day of distress, even when I didn't realize it was happening. When we look at the life of Jacob, God was moving long before Jacob realized God was there. Long before he recognized him, long before he sought him day by day, God was still there. And it's an important place for us to come to in our lives that God has always been there. 
and he is still here. He is always ready for you to return. The psalmist out of 139 speaks to, to our own heart within this. He says, oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all of my ways. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. I have value because God made me. I have purpose now because God knows me. There is never a single day that I will allow the devil to lie to me and tell me I am worthless, I am worn out, I am no longer of use. That is a lie. God has a purpose for you every day. It might not be the same purpose that it was 10 years ago, but it is today's purpose, and we need to stand firm and confident in what that is today, because God is with you. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So idols, charms, bracelets, pendants, these are very common thing during this time. They were things that people held near to them in superstition because of fear, fear of the world. They wanted something to hold close, that tangible they could see, to make them feel better about the situation they were in. To ward off evil, ward off danger, to bring good crops, anything they could have to help bring control into their life, into their world, and it's something that got between them and God. I came across a few pictures of what these things look like. These are different pendants they would have had or earrings that they would have put in, and they symbolized the different gods and their power. They felt that if they had this with them, they had the power of the gods with them. They might have had a little idol they carried around with them as well. You can see the hole in the top where they would have put literally an earring to adorn the idol. And this idea, if I have this with me, I will be safe and I'll be cared for and it'll be okay. And it drew people away from the only true God. And we might consider ourselves, I don't do that. I'm not in that place anymore. How does that work for me? You do that. You carry it with you wherever you go. <laughs> it makes you feel safe. Oh, great Google, I'm lost. Where am I? There I am. I'm saved. Oh, great Googler, I have questions about life. And there are 3,000 answers for me. Oh, thank you, great Googler. It makes me feel safe and secure and cared for and not alone. But this is a worthless thing. I would say it can't hear you, but it can. <laughs> but it can't save you. Not in the truest sense of that meaning. It's a worthless thing, and it can get between us and God. That's what an idol is. 
This might be an idol for some, and it might not be an idol for others. There are many things that take the part of an idol in our life. It could be money, it could be a job, it could be a spouse, it could be children, it could be a pension or a retirement. Something that you find security in and hope in, and you're laying your trust in it and not in God. And God's saying, no. No, those things can all go away in an instant. I am the only one that can truly save you. I am the only one that can usher you into eternity. I am the only one that can care for your soul. Your time on this earth is not a guarantee. It's short. We have to look at life in the light of eternity. The time we have here is important, but here can't be it. We must put away the things that get between us and God. Does that mean that no one gets a cell phone anymore? No, it's a wonderful tool. Utilize it. Don't allow it to get between you and God. Does it mean you quit your job? No, you need to pay your bills. Don't allow the job to get between you and God. Take care as you walk. Take care as you go through life. Check your heart day by day. Is this getting between me and God? And they journeyed. A terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. As I come to long passages like these and I see this family through time that do themselves horrendous things oftentimes. And I think, God, why, why them over anybody else? Why this favoritism? It doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't seem right. Why them, Lord? And it's for one reason, because it's not because of them. It's not because they're better than the rest of humanity. It's because God wanted an example for the rest of the world. He wanted a witness to show exactly what God can do when people serve Him and what happens when they don't. Out of Isaiah 45, it says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. I did not speak in secret in the land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry, apart, carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It's not about just this people. It's about 
all the ends of the earth, and the purpose of these people is to be a witness of God to everyone else. And if you call upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been adopted into this family. You've been brought into the household of God. You are also in the family of Israel, meaning you've inherited this purpose to be a witness of God. The purpose of being a Christian isn't to have your life sorted out and to be blessed and to live the rest of the days nicely and to try to avoid trouble. That is in a byproduct of being a Christian. The purpose of serving the Lord is to make sure as many people come back to the Lord as we possibly can help while the time we have on this earth is still here. Because when we die, when everything for us truly does end, you take nothing else with you but those who you've handed an invitation to, to the kingdom of God. That's all that's coming with us is people, not a single thing. Everything will burn up. Everything will pass away. All will be gone except people. That's ultimately the purpose of everyone that calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. It's a call to remember who we are. Return fervently to the Lord. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called his, its name Alon Bakuth. We have the God of Bethel, El Bethel. Bethel meaning house of God. It's the God of this place. It's where God is residing. We need to be where God is. It's not a specific place anymore. God has taught us beyond this. We need to be where God is in our life, not where God was. That's the lesson of the desert journey with the Israelites. You don't stay where God isn't. When God moves, you move. At one point, God had you doing mighty things here. And if we just hold on to that for the rest of our life and God moves, eventually that will dwindle into mediocrity and it will lose its influence. And you might make it hold on for a long time, but eventually it will amount to nothing and it will end because God moved. He said, I'm over here. We're doing a new thing. We got other people we need to gather. Don't hold on to what was. Be in what is. Things, are, things come to an end. Deborah is Rebecca's nurse. Rebecca is Jacob's mother. The mentioning of her in this point is to give us a realization that the people of the previous generation are going into eternity. Their influence is done. The only reason Deborah would have been with him is if Rebecca had come to meet him or Rebecca had passed on. We won't hear about Rebecca ever again. Her influence, her time has passed. We're going to have two more deaths in this chapter before we end. The influence will eventually pass to those after us. We can't hold on like it will be there forever. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. 
No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. This is called a theophany. It's God in some physical way appearing to us on this world. It doesn't happen very often in Scripture. And it's in a monumental moment in time. He's appearing to Jacob to remind him of the most important things. You are not Jacob anymore. We wrestled years ago. We should have had this sorted and you settled. But your name doesn't mean settler. It means one who strives. He stopped striving. Remember who you are, Jacob. You've striven, and there's more at hand. You might be old, but you're not that old. You still have breath within you. I've got a job for you, Jacob. And remember who I am. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I've had a plan from the beginning. And that's what this wording is meant to do for us. It's meant to launch us back to creation when he says, be fruitful and multiply. Be with me. Remember the plan I've always had for humanity. I said this to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. I am God Almighty. I have always had this plan for humanity. Don't forget it, Jacob. Don't forget your purpose, that blessing to the nations that you're meant to be. Don't forget that. Don't let that get lost in mediocrity. Don't let that be lost in settling, Jacob. Remember who you are and what I have for you. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And this is the proper response. When God speaks to you and he reminds you and he brings you back to this place that you were meant to be, we worship the Lord. We give him his due. We honor and praise and glorify his name. It is the only proper response to God moving mightily in our life. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel where they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called his name Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It's the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Ben-Oni means son of my sorrow. It's my final son, and it's the son of this joy of him being born. I am parting, and I will never get to know him. Son of my sorrow. Benjamin means son of my right hand. It's my honored son. It's my final son. This season is ending. There will be no more children. There will be no more times of this. Rachel was the wife that Jacob strove for. It's the whole reason he went up to this region to find a wife from the Lord, and he worked for 14 years for her hand in this desperation for her. 
And I guarantee he didn't choose for that relationship to end now. But it does. We don't choose when that happens. He can't make up a yesterday or the day before or the years that have passed if there was things that they wanted to do sometime then because they will never happen. We must live for what God has given us today. Don't wait till then to do the living you need to do now with the people God has put in your life today. Cherish them today. Spend time with them today. Point them to God today. Don't let it wait till then. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bila, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the son of Rachel, sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Billah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpha, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. It's kind of a big deal in the very beginning of that little piece of the passage that I feel like it just kind of went right on by. That should be significant when we hear that Reuben just slept with his stepmom. Yeah. I feel like scripture, I would like to know more. Um, all I got was Jacob heard of it. What's going on here and why? So digging into that part um, through some commentaries, realizing that this on Reuben's part, the best thing we can assume for it, because scripture isn't clear, is that this is a power grab of Reuben. This is a seeking to have control and to be the one who's now in charge of the family. There is actually a tradition of that time that if you want to assert power from someone else and you are going to now be the new ruler, that you would take their wives and that would make you show, it would show that you can subjugate all those around you. It was power, power grabbed by force. And I've listed two passages or several passages there in which we see this happening within scripture itself that when somebody came in and tried to sweep power out from someone else, they did this very same thing. It's a showing that Jacob's influence is waning, but it's not gone because Reuben doesn't take control. In fact, Reuben will never have authority over the family because of this moment. And it's a warning to us that although your influence might be waning, it's not gone. Don't allow someone else to take what God has given you for this time. Don't lay down and just, I'm done now. Just, I'm going to let this pass, and I don't have this fight in me anymore. That's not what God has for any one of us. There are certain stages in life where people will come and seek your influence, and people won't try to usurp it, and they'll come and they'll seek you out. But that doesn't stay forever there eventually comes a time when the kids don't really call anymore. Mm -hmm. Nobody comes knocking on your door. Nobody says, hey, can we get a cup of coffee so I can get your point of view? Eventually, that all but stops the older we get. Anybody identify with that? But that doesn't mean you have nothing of value to give. 
I would say quite to the contrary. The older you are, the more life you've lived, the more you need to be giving. But you are not at a point anymore where people are going to be coming to you, so you will have to go to them. And if that doesn't seem fair, life just isn't fair. Which is why it's such a wonderful opportunity that we are in a community of believers. And we have opportunities here where we can come in and we can still give that influence and give that wisdom no matter what age we are. We can be a part of the kids' ministry and we can share God's love and His wisdom with children. We can be in the junior high ministry. We can be in the high school ministry. We can be in the young adults' ministry and we can still share the wisdom we have no matter what stage in life we are. We can be a part of a home group and we can share the wisdom that God has for us. But the person that has to do that is you. Everyone's going to be at a point where people stop calling, people stop knocking down the door, but that doesn't mean God's done with you. You need to stand bold and say, I have something of value to give. I'm going to be a part of this community. I'm going to share until my dying breath the wisdom God's given me because that's still my purpose. Every single one of us has a purpose within the Lord. That's never going to go away. Don't believe the lie of the devil that your time is done and nobody cares anymore and just be quiet, sit down, and die. That is not God's will for you. That is a lie of the devil. You have mighty things yet to do for the Lord. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre or Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last. He died, and he was gathered to his people, and old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. I took some time at a certain point to look at the ages around the patriarchal time period because they get pretty pretty long. They're very long-lived people, and I wanted to see what was going on there and who was around, when people were born, when they passed away. So I took hours to go through this and create a timeline. So just fun fact. Isaac dying at the age of 180. Only three years prior to that event did Peleg pass away. Peleg is Isaac's great, great, great great grandfather. He died at the age of 460. Shem, who quite literally got off the boat, only died 27 years prior to this event at the age of 600 years old. And when we hear ages like that, it really stretches this idea of, is this just a legendary thing? Is this real? So I looked at all 10 of these forefathers, of these patriarchs, and I looked at their ages and I saw what God was doing. There are patterns in scripture that become plain to see when we take time to flush them out. They take time to flush them out. Shem lives to be 600 years old. Only him and his brothers have that. The next three generations thereafter, Arshpash, Eber, and Peleg all live to be in the 400s. The next three generations after that, Reu, Serug, and Nahor live to be in the 200s. The next 
three generations after that, Terah, Abraham, and Isaac lived to, live, lived to be in the upper hundreds. And after this, people only live in a maximum to the upper hundred, the mid hundreds at most, to where we're at the point now where it's fairly rare. We actually have a family in this church who lives to be commonly in the hundreds. That's Justin's family who's in the back. But God has a plan. God has amazing things that he's doing. Why would the people that were farther back, closer to the boat, live longer? There were not a lot of people. If you need to be fruitful and multiply, you need some time to do that. And so they were given time. Everyone starts to catch up towards this point after several hundred years, and they get back to the point where they need to be. But God cut that time down after a series of generations, a series of generations, a series of generations. God has a plan, and we can see it when we take the time to seek it out. But it does take time. But this is an ending. It's an ending to this era. It's an ending to this time period. It's drawing to a close. Eventually, all things will end. That influence you've had will end. What are we doing with it now? This is going to be passed on to Jacob's sons. They're going to be the ones influencing the world at this point. What will have been passed on when we pass away? What things that really matter will they hold close to them? It's not too late. It's not too late to step fervently back into what God has for you to arise and go. To with all your vigor fulfill the purposes that God has in your life. Out of 2 Corinthians 6, it says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown, yet well known. As dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Let there be no excuse we put in our own way for the amazing things that God has for you now. You have El Shaddai, God Almighty with you now, let there be no excuse, let there be no lie from the devil to tell you you can't do great things right now, no matter what stage of life you're in. Embrace now, 
Don't pine or mourn for what was or what could have been. That's gone. It cannot be made up. Let it go. Step into the amazing things God has for you now. And remember who you are. Remember the purpose God has called each and every one of us to. Of Isaiah 43, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Amen? Would you stand with us?